Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender. Episode 99, The Great One. The penultimate. Gretzky, baby. Gretzky, indeed. Same age as your grandpa. Same age as my grandpa. It's a big one. We're almost at hundy. Three digits. I, I can't believe it. I know that technically we've done over 100 episodes, but it'll be something to put in the books that there's 100 in front of the episode title on this one. Thank you all for sticking through all of it with us and joining us and listening to our conversations. We had an excellent download day yesterday and somebody or multiple people were just vibing us and wanted to spend their whole day with us. And that is so sweet and so nice. And we love that anybody at all wants to listen to us jibber and jabber because we love jibbering and jabbering especially about movies and dads and complicated family relationships just wanted to say a quick thank you but let's get into this macaroonies we got six macaroonies and it's been a hot minute since we've had six big ones locked and loaded ready to go so let's get into it kick us off kylie for our first movie of the week it was actually our last movie at the theater in 2023 On New Year's Eve, we went and saw Phantom Thread, a 2017 drama history romance directed and written by PTA himself, Paul Thomas Anderson. It stars Daniel Day-Lewis as Reynolds Woodcock, Vicky Creeps as Alma, and Leslie Manville as Cyril. Synopsis, set in 1950s London, Reynolds Woodcock is a renowned dressmaker whose fastidious life is disrupted by a young, strong-willed woman, Alma, who becomes his muse and lover. What did you think of Phantom Thread? I was looking forward to this, um, mostly because it was hyped up for us by our buddy Nicole, who we previously had on the show to talk about her Not Your Final Girl series. We knew that she loved to watch this on New Year's, but I found out because we met up with her and a few other buddies to see this uh, in the theater that this is her favorite movie of all time. So I'm just like, damn, all right. And I trust her movie tastes. Mm Mm-hmm. And she was so excited. I'm like, did you have a hand in this plane today? And she's like, maybe. (laughs) Um, So I was really excited. And 
I really didn't know what to expect. I knew that this was DDL's final film that he did before retiring, being done with Chips. But I also have a complicated relationship with Paul Thomas Anderson. I haven't seen all of his films, but Licorice Pizza really threw a wrench in the spokes, as it were. Yeah, you've seen more of his movies than I have. Um, I had seen none. It was one of those, like, I've just never seen a movie by him. And then not that long ago, like, just a handful of years ago, you were like, let's watch There Will Be Blood. And I was like, that sounds boring. Um, But then we watched it and I I liked it. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't obsessed with it. I don't want to watch it all the time, but I liked it. And I was like, oh, this is well made. It's really well acted. We do shout, I've abandoned my boy a lot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at our cat. Um, <laughs> so then I was interested in Licorice Pizza because I had liked There Will Be Blood and I hated that movie. I, I mean, it's not just the like gross age gap that we're like not supposed to really criticize. Um, I just didn't like the movie. Like yeah. I just thought it was boring. So, you know, when you've only seen two of his movies and one you liked but didn't love and the other one you hated, I've just been like, eh. I mean, we're never going to cover Licorice Pizza on the show, but I will say the one part of that movie that I really liked is when the truck was going down the hill and it was dead silent and she was driving the truck. I thought that was badass. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm never going to watch that movie again. But so then I was just kind of like not really on the PTA train. Um, But I was like, no, it's... This was this is interesting because this was a movie that when it came out, I was like, this is the story with Paul Thomas Anderson movies. I just go, that looks boring. Honk shoe, honk shoe, <laughs> which kind of surprises me because I fucking love Project Runway. Yeah, you and I are big Project Runway. And like heads. next in fashion. Like we like these designy shows. I also loved what not to wear back in the day. Hmm. So like I have been interested in, but especially in shows where like people are designing fashions. Yeah. Like I've really, you and I have watched a lot of that together. I think we've seen all of Project Runway and, and the two seasons of Next in Fashion. Um, yeah, um, Tim Gunn, big hero of ours. Yes. Love that guy. It's a great example of how to be a good mentor. Yes. And a absolutely. good teacher. Um, so I'm surprised that I was immediately like boring, but I think it's because it has that like historical element, which I often... I'm not drawn to, but I'm starting to learn that like I do like some historical movies. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is the 1950s. It's not like it's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not historical. It's historical. not Anna Karenina. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Anna, Anna Karenina. Um so yeah, I put put my hatred for Licky Pizza aside and was like, I'm interested in this. Licky <laughs> <laughs> Pizza. <laughs> One of our uh, letterbox friends calls it that. Fuck, that's so funny. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not mine. That's tra- trademarked Pete. Emily Rugburn. Holy shit. Um, and I was like, a lot of people that we trust like this movie. Um, and I have to say, I really liked it. I like, I yeah. really, I loved it. So now having seen three of his movies, one that I hated, one that I liked, and one that I loved, I'm a lot more willing to give his other other work a try because I really, truly loved this. Yeah, I I was just so pleasantly surprised that I ended up loving this as much as I did, especially just because uh, the the twists and the turns that this takes, I didn't expect it to take those kinds of twists and turns. I had accidentally stumbled upon a friend's letterboxed review where they talked, they didn't like it, 
And in it, they said they didn't like it because of the Cronenbergian twists it takes. And I was like, oh, this is going to get fucked. Yeah, he's going to like sew her into a suit or something. It doesn't get that. (laughs) I mean, it's not that. But so I kind of had like a bit of um, a preparation for for the fact that it might get kind of wonky and and it does but within a very subdued way and mm-hmm. and I liked that um we were having a good time when we were watching this because holy shit are Reynolds and Alma you and me at our most toxic versions of us oh yeah and I'm Reynolds and you're Alma yeah like at like the if we pushed our like bad qualities to their breaking point this would be our relationship yeah but even like the smaller things, like the, the many sequences where they're eating breakfast and Reynolds needs absolute quiet during breakfast, but Alma's just there buttering her toast and clinking dishes around and stuff. I'm totally that person. And you're totally oh, like, can you just be quiet? I have, I have, <laughs> I have a new line, which is the tea will go out, but the interruption will stay. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, that said, this movie had a lot of funny shit. Yeah, there. it was really like, so it was beautiful. Like it's it is it's beautifully shot. The dresses are beautiful. Like I love fashion in the sense of like I would never wear that. No, but like I, I don't give a shit. I don't give a good goddamn about dresses. Mm-hmm. But they're beautiful. Yeah, all the fashion stuff and all the footage and the scenes of fashion of the clothes being made and the close-ups. I found it so calming and so nice to yeah. watch. Yep. Which then was a nice kind of juxtaposition to like the tension in the relationship between Alma and Reynolds, right? Yeah, because you feel that when he's not designing, when he's not sketching, when he's not actually physically making the clothes, that there is this tension or this sense of unease. At least that's what it evokes in the viewer and that it's only when he's doing his craft and being creative that things are in equilibrium with everything, with the universe. And a cool, cool trivia is um, a lot of the people, <laughs> cool trivias. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the actors or people who were playing like the seamst- seamstress people were actual fashion makers. Nice. Do you know um, what I like about them? I like that everybody wears white coats. I just think like they're doctors of clothing. Yeah. I don't know. Symbolically, I, I quite like that. Anyway. Also, you know about DDL and his um method acting. Which I Yeah, I have feelings about. But I mean yeah. he's he is a very good actor. It just yeah. seems like he'd be insufferable during that time. Especially because he picks roles that like they're not nice people. Um <laughs> yeah. but he spent a bunch of time learning how to sew and um, by the end of all of the time that he spent, he was able to recreate a Balenciaga dress. That's cool. So he learned some skills. I'd say, you know, challenging the method acting thing, I would say, like you said, he doesn't play nice characters. I think he just uses it as an excuse to be a dick. Yeah, and maybe that's why he ended up being done with chips because it was like his wife was like, I'm sick of you being a mean guy. No more roles. I'm starting to think that we should put the link to the Done With Chips. Yeah. So people- if you have not seen <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis is Done With Chips, we'll put a link, the in, the link in the show notes and yeah, yeah, yeah. you're about to see one of the funniest things you've ever seen in your life. So this movie was really funny. It was really beautiful, but it was also just like 
great. Like yeah. the the kind of chess game of the relationship between Alma and Reynolds was compelling to watch. And, you know, where the movie nets out, I, I think is kind of a litmus test for the viewer. Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah. Like, I don't think the film is necessarily trying to qualify that the ending is a good thing, a bad thing. Like, I think it's up to the viewer to decide how they feel about it. Yeah. Like for me, it took it to the next level. Yeah. I loved it. The final sequence is, I thought was incredible, but I mean, it's not not salt burning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not to really piss people off. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's it was great. Yeah. And when it gets like really mucky, I liked that. Yeah. Um, also, the paired with the music by Johnny Greenwood, just excellent work. It's so it's so beautiful, orchestral, but also chaotic at times. Yeah, this was great. I would make watching this a yearly tradition. I would totally watch this every year on New Year's Eve. I, I'm I'm down. It was nominated for a lot of stuff. Best mm-hmm. Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress for Manville, um, Best Score, but it only won for one thing, which was Best Costume Design, mm. which tracks. Yeah, It had really, really great costume design. And, um, you know, as we speak about often we really like staying to the end of the credits and we love that our friends, even our friends who like don't want to stay to the end of the credits, which like we are all about with the exception of talking and having your phone out during a movie, we're all about like doing what you need to do in a movie theater. Like if, if you have friends who want to sit in the front row and you want to sit in the back row, like it's okay to not sit together. Also wait until the end and it's completely silent in the theater. That can be unnerving for some people. Yeah. Yeah. So like we, we are all about, even if you go to movies with people, you can have different, tradition so i love that our friends are just like hey see you later because they know we're gonna stay and they don't want to and um that i love that like i genuinely love being able to like one of my favorite things is when we go to metro and we run into people that we know and we visit in the lobby and then we all go sit in different parts of the theater because we all have (laughs) different parts of the theater we like to sit in yeah um like for this movie we ended up sitting in the middle but i don't like sitting in the center because that's where a lot of people like to sit and i ended up with a person in front of me and i'm very short Mm -hmm. so that's why we sit where we sit, which is um, to the right side because people don't tend to sit in front of us and then there's no risk. And also if it's just me and you, if by chance it happens to be a sold out show, then I can move to the aisle seat and I can still see. Yeah. Plus I'm a long boy. I like an aisle seat to stretch out the Yeah, gams. you love to put those legs out. Um, but what I was going to say is we, we always stay to the end of the credits because we just like that for a variety of reasons that we've spoken about at length. But at the end of this one, um, it was dedicated to Jonathan Demi. Yes. Very nice. So I think he passed kind of in the midst of finishing up the film and um, him and Paul Thomas Anderson were friends. And so it was like, oh, that's it's nice to see that dedication. Mm-hmm. My favorite piece of trivia about this movie, though, is that one of Paul Thomas Anderson's favorite films of all time is Clue. Mm. And he says these are in the same universe. Fuck, I love that. I would love to see Reynolds Woodcock go to the Clue house. Talk with Tim Curry. Communism was a red herring all along. <laughs> that's incredible. I love. I love that. That's just a, a, something he acknowledged. <laughs> yeah, so funny. Definitely set in the same universe. But I really liked this. I thought Daniel Day Lewis was very handsome and very good at acting. More like Daddy Day Lewis. Daddy Day Lewis. Um, Vicky Creeps is also very handsome, very beautiful, very good at acting. Uh, it was hilarious and beautiful, and also kind of fucked. And all of that was great. Absolutely. How did Phantom Thread make you feel? Captivated and delightfully mesmerized. How did it make you feel? 
It made me feel drawn into the tense power play in the central relationship. Fuck, that's really good. I oh, like, I like that. Yeah, my words. <laughs> the words. Okay, I'm really excited to talk about this next one. This was the last movie that we watched in 2023, and it was my mystery movie pick. And I wanted to go to school. So I chose the 2019 drama slash music film Sound of Metal. It was directed by Darius Martyr, and the screenplay and story was written by Darius Martyr, as well as Abraham Martyr and Derek Sam France. It stars Riz Ahmed as Ruben, Olivia Cook as Lou, Paul Racy as Joe, um, Matthew Almerich as Richard, and Lauren Ridloff as Diane. Synopsis. A heavy metal drummer's life is turned upside down when he begins to lose his hearing and he must confront a future filled with silence. What do you think of Sound of Metal? I love Sound of Metal. Yes. So when you said you wanted to go to school, what you meant by this is that there are a handful of films that I teach. So I watch them between one and four times a year talk about them for a week, read essays and assignments on them, and then I'm not really that up for watching them at home. Yes. But then you also get to hear me talking about, oh, we had this great conversation about Sound of Metal or The Green Mile or Minari or whatever it is. Planet. I do the whole Planet of the Apes trilogy with my grade 11 class. Um, and sometimes you're like, well, damn, like I just want to watch the movie. Yeah. So Sound of Metal is a movie that I've probably seen upward of 15 times and thought about at length because I watch, I usually have two to three of the class that I teach this in a year. Um, we watch it, we discuss it, they have an assignment on it, I mark essays on it. So I think about it a lot. You'd only seen it once. <laughs> yes, we saw this, loved it. You started teaching it. And I didn't get to watch it because... I mean, you can watch it by yourself, to be fair. I don't know, but I like watching stuff with you. Um, And I didn't want to... I had to be very selective of when I would pick this because I don't want to pick it when you're in the midst of teaching it because you're watching it and and you're in the thick of it. But I figured that this was a good time. There was a bit of distance. It was during your break, so there was a bit of distance from you teaching at all and and getting to watch this. But I was excited to pick this because I feel like because you've taught it so many times, you could give me so many little insights and so many things that you've learned through and analyzing it with your classes. Did so, I? Yeah. I th- and I think that th- these are these are the kinds of conversations you and I would have. So I'm excited to learn things that you've learned about it, but also things you've learned about it through students um, because they're picking up things that you didn't even think about or I thought about, which is amazing. So I was looking forward to it. I love this movie so much. I'm going to go as far as to say it's a masterpiece. I think it's one of the best movies ever made. And it's just so, I think you said something to this effect. It's, It's so rife with stuff to dig into. Like it's a perfect film to study. Yeah, there's a reason that the first time we watched it, I was like, I think this would make a good film study for my grade 12s. My biggest um, point of nerves around it was how much he swears. Hmm. Um, but my students really don't care. Uh, and, and, it, and it makes sense for just the way he's feeling. And I have found that by and large, my students love this film and feel really connected to it because at its core, what it's about is not about Ruben 
losing his hearing. It's about what we do when something fundamentally alters the path we were on in a way that cannot be recovered. Mm. And that can happen in so many different ways. And and I don't know who can't relate to that based on 2020, right? Like life as we knew it changed for, I'm going to say pretty much everyone. And, you know, the plans that we had and the things we thought were going to happen didn't happen. And it was a, I spent a lot of time in that, you know, first couple of months, especially just, just being mad that things couldn't go back to the way they were. And this film is about that. Like, what do you do with that feeling? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you do with the feeling when your parents get divorced? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. like there's so many, so many times in our lives where something is going to irreparably change the course that we were on in a way that we are not in control of. And this film asks the question of how do you cope with that? Um, And it's not really about losing his hearing. Mm-hmm. it's the conduit into something deeper absolutely um and so it's to me what it's fundamentally about is that very human desire to get things back to the way they were to get the past back mm-hmm. and the much more difficult thing of accepting that that's not possible yeah yeah and it's beautifully done like it's it's done in a way that doesn't spell everything out for you and like because I, I love it so much and these are the t- these slice of life films and these abrupt endings and, you know, these scenes that ask you to like read the character's emotions rather than literally being expository about what's going on mm-hmm. are my favorite. And sometimes I forget that like this is more subtle than maybe even I realize when I'll have a student be like, wait, what happened there? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, oh, and that's what's beautiful about this film. I love that the film trusts its viewers to go on the journey and understand it. And I feel like the characters talk the way people talk. Like it's got very realistic dialogue. Yeah. It's admittedly, this is another movie that while I was writing my notes, I was crying. (laughs) I just, I find this movie so affecting and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do a better job of, I don't want my, top four on Letterboxd just be the same all the time so I recently just added it in my top four. What did you take out? Everything Everywhere. Which I still love but I want to get a little bit more of a rotation going. But everything just feels so intentional. Like even just the choices of where to use a locked off camera as opposed to a handheld camera look. Yeah we study that. And the, the way that sound design is used, this also just taps into a very real fear of mine of, you know, having been a musician in the past, having gone to a lot of loud concerts, having played a lot of loud music, listening to a lot of loud music. I am fearful of losing my hearing. Like I have tinnitus like a motherfucker and undiagnosed tinnitus, but it is what it is. Um, if I'm in a quiet room, my ears are ringing and I'm, I'm, I'm scared for that happening, but I feel like the, the way that sound design is used to convey that feeling and what Ruben is going through and then how it applies to how his world changes and who enters his life. It's handled so delicately and so beautifully and the people that show up in his life are so beautiful. I mean, 
Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook are incredible in this. Mm-hmm. The I I love seeing Riz Ahmed in uh, like holding this movie on his shoulders. And it's such a I always tell my students like I say go look up an interview with Riz Ahmed because he is like the most debonair, gentle British man. Like he is not he's not Ruben. Like that's not who he is in real life. And mm-hmm. he it would not be hard to watch this movie and think that's what he's like because he does such a great job with it. Yeah. He makes that character so believable. Yeah. But all of that said, I love those two so much. The MVP is Paul Racy. Yeah. I'm really disappointed. He was nominated for best supporting actor and I'm really disappointed that he didn't win Yeah, because I think he's phenomenal. And um, I put this in my letterbox review, but this is a film that I, I loved it the first time we saw it, but I didn't, think it was a perfect movie yet and it's in I often choose texts for my students to study with them that I really really like that I like eight to nine out of ten but not a ten out of ten because it's too personal it's too vulnerable right Mm -hmm. but then as I teach them these texts and I hear what they have to say and I, I spend so much time thinking about it and seeing just like when you spend that much time with a text you see how purposeful everything is in a way that when you watch something for an hour and a half it's really easy to have your critiques and say what you would have done differently Hmm. when you really spend the time with something and see that shot, that transition, that lighting, that sound design, that captioning, that cut, that line reading, like you see the intense purpose behind all of it. It's hard for it not to become a 10 out of 10, which it's become to me. And I think there's three scenes in this movie that are among the top three scenes of all time ever made put on film. Hmm. And one of them is just one of my fundamentally most affecting emotional moments on film, which is with Paul Racy and, and with a breath. Like, I just think it's phenomenal acting and it. That scene in particular, I get incredibly emotional about. And Hmm. um, it tends to be my, my students, I give them um, a scene analysis assignment where they have to pick a scene and do a close reading on it. And that's often a scene they pick. Mm-hmm. Like it's a scene that they really want to think about more closely. And yeah, he's amazing in this. Yeah. He's the, like much like a Kiwi Kwong. He's very much there to support Riz Ahmed's character of Ruben. Joe is just this, he's this person to lean on without be, without imposing himself on you. And he'll come up later in the show. Wow. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, everything is just so masterful. Like the way that it's shot, the way things are framed, the way it's paced, how the film is bookended. Like you kind of delved into this a little bit of where we open in terms of shots and where we close. And the the song green that plays in the end credits that song has been in regular rotation for me since seeing this the first time it's such a beautiful piece of music written by um abraham martyr so the director darius martyr's brother if there's ever a reason to stay through end credits it's (laughs) this song it's beautiful and it's um this movie also ends with a dedication. This one's a more personal one. This one ends with a dedication to uh, Darius Abraham Murder's grandmother. Mm. Um, and 
on Dairy Smarter's Twitter, this is the top pinned tweet, so I just wanted to share it. Uh, it says, quote, my grandmother, Dorothy Martyr, was a gay photographer and activist. She went profoundly deaf after taking an antibiotic. The loss of cinema was particularly devastating for her. She petitioned for open captions for the rest of her life. Sound of Metal is dedicated to her. Mm. And, you know, it's really a shame that Sound of Metal came out at the height of the pandemic because um, when it did play, because it, it first screened in 2019, um, it had captions on it, like for everything. Mm. It's like the film was intended to be watched with captioning because it's intended to be for a deaf and a hearing audience. Like this is not one of those, we made a film with deaf characters for a hearing audience. Mm -hmm. It's a film and there's deaf people in it and it's for everyone. There is some like very impassioned and important discussion about cochlear implants mm -hmm. and what the film says about cochlear implants, especially through sound design, because that can be a really controversial part of the deaf community. Mm -hmm. um, and I've had, I had a student speak really thoughtfully about that this year because she grew up with a friend who had cochlear implants. And I do think after having spent so much time with the film, I don't necessarily think the film is denigrating cochlear implants as much as it is, across the board saying think before you make decisions mm -hmm. and like really um, be prepared for what that's going to be like. Um, but because this film isn't expository and it isn't preachy, it's easy to take it as a denigration, especially because um, of some of the things that happened between Ruben and the, and the deaf community. Mm -hmm. But I also am not a deaf or hard of hearing person, so I am not the expert on, on that. But it is something that has been brought up by folks who have been like disappointed in that aspect of the movie and I think that's worth acknowledging mm -hmm. um, just on a kind of more political level. But I think that this film is amazing. I think it's, obviously, I teach it. I think it's a really mm -hmm. strong film. We watched it um, on our Criterion 4K, which was stunning. It was beautiful. It was missing some subtitling, and when I contacted them, they said it was supposed to be like that. So that's strange, but all right, Criterion. But it did look good. It, it looked great and sounded great. Yeah, um, I'll watch this forever. It's one of the best, at least for me. And I think it's great that a movie, you very adamantly are like, I'm not going to teach fives. But I like that through the process of teaching it, it has become a five out of five. Oh, everything I teach through the process of teaching it has become <laughs> a five out of five. But it's a different thing, right? It's become out of five, a five out of five through appreciation rather than like it was a five out of five because of an immediate emotional connection. Yes. Just different. One thing that I think is really phenomenal about this film. So it was shot on film mm -hmm. um, and they had a really low budget. They only did two takes per scene. Wow. Yeah incredible and i mean like in phantom thread with daniel day lewis learning how to sew um Rizamed learned sign language and became really close with um the sign language instructor that he worked with who's also plays the sign language instructor in the film um and then he also learned him and olivia cook learned how to like play their instruments mm. um and they're actually playing and she's actually singing in those scenes. And I mean, depending on what kind of music you like, I, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> My students are always like, what is happening? Especially no, like the lyrics to the opening song are kind of any hole is a goal. 
<laughs> I don't know, man. I, I think that shit fucking rips. I'm a fan of it. Black um, Gabin, that's their band's name. <laughs> uh, it also, I mean, this... I think really rightfully so. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Actor, and Riz Ahmed became the first Muslim actor to ever be nominated for that. Mm -hmm. Best Supporting Actor for Paul Racy, and then it won for Best Sound and Best Film Editing, and I think it absolutely deserves those two awards. To your point, too, about them only doing two takes, that just adds to the realism you're talking about. Yeah, there's a rawness and a realness of emotion within this that... I think everybody was on board to like letting that be captured and not needing like this absolute perfection because the film is about the imperfection of people. Yeah. I know that one of the scenes where Ruben swears probably the most in the film is also one of the most like heartbreaking, gut wrenching scenes that sticks with me between him and Lou. I tell I I actually, I often tell my students that like, because some of this, this film has nothing objectively graphic about it but it's actually a pretty upsetting film and it's emotionally graphic. yeah and the the sound design can be really intense for my students and um Lou's character has clearly engaged in self-harm and then there's a couple moments with Ruben where he's just so aggressive that it like seems like he could hurt someone either like Lou or himself and it's that never happens but it feels so real and there's yeah. a scene where he has a panic attack that is so intense um And so I I often tell my students that like the first time we watched this in this one scene where he gets like really angry and is like destroying things um, that you actually said, I think I would do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I was and I tell my students that you're one of the like least aggressive people I've ever met in my life, that like you don't respond to things with anger, that physicality is not your go to. Um, And so to hear you say that gives me like a lot of empathy for the character of Ruben Mm -hmm. and like understanding just the pressure cooker that he's in because of this change that he didn't ask for. And and I, and I think Mm -hmm. my students find that really like, I think they can relate to that. I can also see myself if I were in Ruben's situation, kind of responding in a similar way in that I keep it to myself for a lot longer than I should. And that I try to just deal with it on my own. Um, which, yeah, like I, I see a lot more of myself in Ruben than I thought I would. And it's, it's a really reflective thing to have happen. Yeah. This is a, it's a beautiful film. Uh, highly recommend it's on Netflix and prime, I believe. So it's like, I think it's a prime movie, like an Amazon produced movie. So I think it'll always be there. So it's like, it's pretty easy to access. Um, but it's absolutely phenomenal. I do recommend watching it with subtitling because, it's done very purposefully. The story was created like uh, Cinefrance, that guy. He's the guy who did Blue Valentine. Yeah. And the Place, pay, Place Beyond, Beyond the Pines. Pines. Yeah. yeah. So Darius Martyr actually wrote The Place Beyond the Pines. Right. So they're like buds. Yeah. So they've worked together. So if you like that kind of stuff. Also, Lauren Ridloff, who plays Diane, um, and she was in The Eternals. Mm. Beautiful, right? She's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, she yeah. was Miss America. Like... It, in, re- in sorry, real in real sorry. life she was miss america you said miss america life. and i'm like which superhero is that <laughs> <No>. <laughs> just miss america fuck it mcu has just warped my brain yeah. not that i like think miss america is the coolest thing in the world but that's cool miss america's in this movie and she's yeah she's stunning this is a movie of beautiful people truly um it's a really really awesome movie and it was really cool to get to watch it for the first time in a long time when i'm not teaching it 
Yeah. And I'm not watching it in two parts and I'm not watching it on my shitty sound system at school with like my windows that don't close. So it's like light out in the room and my scuffed up pull down screen and <laughs> the really crappy cheap projector. It was, it was nice to watch it in a different context. Um, and we can probably watch it a little bit more often, but I do watch it a lot. Yeah. I can see us totally doing a daddy deep dive on this at some time in the Free future. Free study guide for my students. Yeah, there you go. The the Coles notes. All right. Love this movie. It's a, it's a, it's a top five fave. How's it make you feel? Sentimental makes me feel profoundly moved by the raw emotionality and exploration of accepting unasked for change. Ooh, yeah. I'll make that all fit in the graphic nicely. <laughs> That's beautiful. For me, it makes me feel immensely appreciative to have this film in our lives. All right. Um, I got another mystery pick, mostly because all of us strangers did not come out this week as it was supposed to. Um, there was a film I had tried to watch because Letterboxd told me it was on Criterion, but turns out it was only on Criterion US. So Letterboxd friend helped me get access to it. And that is all I will say. Mm. Um, so we watched the 2002 drama film, Morvern Keller, directed by Lynn Ramsey, written by Lynn Ramsey and Liana Dognini, and based on the novel by Alan Warner. It stars Samantha Morton as Morvern Keller and Kathleen McDermott as Lana. Synopsis. After her beloved boyfriend's suicide, a morning supermarket worker and her best friend hit the road in Scotland, but find that grief is something that you can't run away from forever. What did you think of Morvern Keller? I mean, right out of the gate, Lynn Ramsey, worth noting, Lynn, Lynn Ramsey makes some very affecting films, and this is affecting right out of the gate. And it delves right into the act and the the process of having severe grief avoidance yeah which is in this case tough to watch yeah uh like this is this is a we so this was the last feature film of lynn ramsey's that we hadn't seen um she's only made four feature films and we've covered two well now after this three of the four and we've seen you were never really here we just haven't covered it on the show mm-hmm and I've liked all of them, but they're very unsettling. Yes. She has this ability to create a film that is profoundly beautiful and human and yet deeply upsetting, but not quite in a Lars von Trier or Yorgos Lanthimos way, which tends to like heighten or hyperbolize. Yes. Like this is, Lynn Ramsey's films are uncomfortable in an incredibly real way. Yeah. Like in a way that if you were in the situation this might be a thought that would cross your mind. And so it's so compelling to me about this film and this film really, it's a really quiet film. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of talking in it. And especially at the beginning is what happens when there's something that you're grieving and you have the ability to not tell people. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's that's kind of how Sound of Metal starts, right? When Ruben thinks he'll be able to just fix it and not have to tell anybody. There's kind of a similar thing going on in a very different way here, which is no one knows about my partner's death but me. Mm-hmm. So do I have to tell them? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Can I just keep living life like normal 
and not have to go through everything I need to go through in acknowledging this and sharing this information with other people. I mean, so this is an, this is an intense story and I don't know if you remember this, Elliot, but there's a part of me that that really deeply relates this, not quite in the like intensity of the way that Morvern goes about this, but when my dad passed away, I didn't immediately want to have to talk to everybody about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to immediately have to have that conversation with every single person that I see because that's a deeply emotional conversation to have. Um, but unlucky for me, my stepsister, who's the exact same age as me, and went to our school. So we have a lot of mutual social media friends. She posted about it hmm. within days of my dad passing away. And one of my, at the time, like longtime friends, we weren't like super close anymore, but we'd been friends since grade four phoned me and was angry at me, like yelled at me for not having told her. That's fucked. Yeah. Because her dad had passed away the previous year and she was like, I can't believe I had to find out through like this person's social media. And I was just like, and like, I'm in the middle of grieving. I remember like, I remember getting this phone call and going to the one bathroom we had in our little gross townhouse that we shared with our roommate and just being like so upset that I had to deal with this anger at me not being ready to share it with everybody yet yeah and so certainly i didn't go to the extremes morvern did but i was trying to allow myself who to pick and choose talking about it with because there's something when you experience an intense tragedy like that so for me like you know losing my dad at a fairly young age i'm still pretty young to have lost a parent even now, if that comes up, like if a, if a student asks me, oh, what, like, what do your parents do? And I say, oh, my mom is retired and my dad died. Like there's this immediate like, oh, it becomes like your identity. And I mean, obviously we, we've made it that with this show, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, like there's I understand that impulse to be like, I don't want this thing to define me yet. Mm-hmm. Or I don't want this thing to be what everybody knows about me and what everybody thinks about me when they see me. Mm-hmm. Um that's a mucky, mucky, mucky thing to think about. Yeah. And that's exclusively what this film thinks about. So when you experience an extreme tragedy, and in this case, Morvern's partner dies by suicide, what do you do with that? Yeah. And it's so interesting to watch this film in juxtaposition with another film dealing with grief that we watch later, uh, that we'll cover later in this episode. But it is, like I said, it's such a relatable thing and something you can totally see yourself doing in like (laughs) this is a real extreme version of it but even just relating to what you said not you're not ready to delve into conversations about this and have to deal with the reality of it through the lens of other people this even i um i clicked through a like acquaintance on social media posted about somebody's pet having passed away Mm -hmm. um not somebody I know. And I clicked through to read the post and in the, in the body of the post, the person actually asked, um, it said like, I ask that people not give me their condolences when they see me in person because I am not ready to feel that emotion in public. Mm-hmm. If, and when I'm ready to talk to you about it, I will. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that like, you know, even one of the most beautiful things that happened when um, my dad passed away is uh, one of my, an English teacher that taught my brother, me and my two sisters, and then was my mentor teacher. And then was my colleague. And now was my friend. 
my brother was in grade 12 at the time and she read the obituary for my dad in the paper. And so she wrote a really lovely card to all four of us and she just slipped it onto my brother's desk, didn't say anything, but just handed it to him for him to open when he was ready, didn't make a big thing in front of the class and make him emotional in front of everybody. Um, and that was so meaningful to all of us and I think especially him. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, we should be allowed to choose who and when we want to talk about these things with, but maybe not to the extremes that Morvern takes. Yes. This movie is fundamentally looking at, okay, well, so what if you push that to the extreme? What if you say, well, I'm just going to pretend this grief didn't happen. Yeah. I'm going to try and escape the grief. Yes. Um, and as a result, this film becomes disorienting but yet in a unique and accessible way. Like I think that it was might've been a letterboxd review that you read to me or something like that of just the way that the sound is mixed and the dialogue fix fits in with the sound and the way that they're speaking with these really thick, heavy accents. It isn't always, I mean, we had subtitles, so that's helpful, but it isn't always perceptible of what is going on, what the vibe of the situation is supposed to be. It puts us in a lot of situations that feel that feel uncomfortable or do feel disorienting. And so you're kind of left not knowing how to feel in certain situations. And like from the outset, you're just like, I don't even know how I feel about Morvern. Yeah. Like I respect that she's grieving in her own way, but this is this 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 doesn't seem right. This this is not how I would go about things. And you start inserting yourself into it. And that's where when you start inserting yourself into a piece of icky fiction that starts allowing for some real interesting reflection on yourself and on the film. Yeah, I quite liked it. And I mean, I had originally been trying to watch it before Christmas because it starts on Christmas Eve, dark Christmas movie to watch. Let me tell you. Um, but when the movie ended, we were both like, I think this was a big inspiration for Charlotte Wells in after Sun. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Twin Peaks effect a little bit, right? Yeah. Not not to that extreme, but just being like, oh, I think this was a reference point. And sure enough, I, I looked up some interviews and Charlotte Wells has directly um, said that particularly the like club scenes in this film were an inspiration on After Sun and something that she kept going back to as a reference point. Um, but I mean, Lynn Ramsey's a Scottish filmmaker. Charlotte Wells is a Scottish filmmaker. And I was just like, wow, it's... I. I hadn't realized that's that's why I said the cherry on top would have been if you had Samantha Morton in the club scenes. In hey, maybe Sun. she is. And we just haven't noticed. It's yet. possible. It's very possible. Speaking of, though, Samantha Morton is magnetic in this film. Yeah. She's, she's so young. She's such a little baby. Little baby. But yeah, she does really, really good work. This is it's not an easy watch. I don't think any of Lynn Ramsey's films are. Mm -hmm. Um There's also a devastating connection to Ratcatcher, which I really love Ratcatcher, but also Ratcatcher's very upsetting. Um, I'm looking forward. Apparently there's like three or four projects that Wikipedia says Lynn Ramsey's working on that all sound exciting, but considering she's only ever made four feature films, I don't know if I believe that she's genuinely going to make all of these movies, Yeah. but I am, I have liked everything I've seen by her and I am all in on whatever she does next. And I'm really glad to have now completed her current feature filmography. Um, and I thought this was a, a really great movie, although very hard to watch. Agreed. How did Morvan Collar make you feel? Intrigued and discomforted. How did it make you feel? 
made me feel unsettled and moved by Morverne's journey through grief. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, the next film was one of our most anticipated of 2023, one that we were looking forward to. It's the comedy drama American Fiction. It was written and directed by Cord Jefferson based on the novel Erasure by Percival Everett. It stars a bevy of excellent people. Jeffrey Wright as Thelonious, a.k.a. Monk Ellison. Tracy Ellis Ross as Lisa. John Oritz as Arthur. Erica Alexander as Coraline. Uh, Leslie Uggams as Agnes. Adam Brody as Wiley. Issa Rae as Centara Golden. Sterling K. Brown as Clifford, Myra Lucretia Taylor as Lorraine, and Raymond Anthony Thomas as Maynard. Synopsis. A novelist who's fed up with the establishment profiting from quote-unquote black entertainment uses a pen name to write a book that propels him to the heart of hypocrisy and the madness he claims to disdain. What do you think of American fiction? So I want to start with, I really liked this movie and you did as well. Yeah. But that synopsis and the trailer are going to result in a lot of people not liking this movie. And it's funny because the tr- well, after watching the trailer, it excited me to want to watch the film. Absolutely. But it did end up being slightly misleading. Yes. Yeah, so this is a, I think this is going to be a really disappointingly sad marketing failure hmm. because that's true. Like it's true that part of the film is about Thelonious who goes by Monk in the film. Part of the film is about Monk creating this book. That's like a hyperbolic satire. That's then taken as genuine literature. Um, But that is like really one small part of the film. And it doesn't even really kick into gear until I'm going to say almost halfway through the movie. Yeah. Um, and the trailer also reveals way too much. Yeah. It reveals not enough about what the film is genuinely about. And then to almost all of this part of the movie, mm-hmm. which then I think is going to result in a lot of people being like, that's not the movie I signed up for, or that's really disappointing. Or like, what the hell does this movie think it is? 
So I'm disappointed in that because what this movie is genuinely more about is family, Mm -hmm. um, identity, and like how those two things connect with social structures. Well, also, once again, all coming back to dad stuff. Dad's in grief. Um, So it's much more about those things than it is about like publishing culture. Um, (laughs) And I just think that disappointingly, it's going to result in a lot of people expecting one thing and then getting something else and then therefore saying the movie is bad mm-hmm. when I don't think the movie is bad. I think it's just being mismarketed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it makes me really sad. I, I put that in my letterbox review and I had somebody respond and say, Oh my goodness. I like was so excited for the movie based on this trailer. Glad I know that going into it. So, you know, if I can get at least a handful of people to be more aware that that's not what the film is about so that they can like what the film truly is about, Rather than being disappointed that it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. Yeah, like complicated explorations of family stuff and dad stuff is clearly our jam. And grief stuff. So yeah, so we weren't upset, but we were just like, oh, I think other people will be. People who just came to this for like funny ha-ha satire. Yeah. It's really not that. Yeah. And I think for me, it was a good balance of the two. Yep, I agree. In I the thought, film itself. I thought it was like it wasn't the super sharp satire that I was expecting it to be, but I thought it was a lovely little film that's like smart and funny. Yeah. And god damn, I, I want I want to talk about the people that are in this movie because I love Jeffrey Wright. I've said I've gone on the record multiple times saying I love Jeffrey Wright. It's so lovely to see him helm a movie and be the lead. I I like the I just like the way that the guy talks. Got a great voice. He can make every audiobook ever. He that, could. That, yeah. That's totally fine. But it was uh particularly fun to see Sterling K. Brown in a role like this where he's having a little bit more fun. He's being a little bit more of a dipshit. Yeah. When he's always been like so together. But Sterling K. Brown is another person of the the few people that if he's crying, I'm probably crying or on the verge yeah, of crying. We, we did all of this as us and he was and tell his weird political storyline, which never works in a sitcom slash just serial TV. Um, he was our favorite character. Yeah. I, I really, I really like Sterling K Brown. I thought he was excellent in this and the way that he played off of Jeffrey Wright's character was top tier was excellent. And it was interesting to learn when you were looking stuff up after the fact that, uh, Cord Jefferson like actually has a lot of connections to, shit that we really like yeah i mean it came up again because we sit through the credits we saw that he thanked damon lindelof um at the end of the film who made the leftovers which is our one of our favorite shows of all time and so when i looked up cord jefferson afterward he's done a lot of writing work um so he was a writer for i think the entirety of damon lindelof's Watchmen series which if you haven't seen that go do it it's amazing he was a writer on a like a substantial number of episodes for The Good Place, which is a show we really like, uh, for Master of None, which we feel complicated about, but I do think is a good show, and for Station Eleven, mm-hmm. which is a miniseries we also really like. And then he's been a consultant for Succession, but I don't believe he actually wrote for it. So, mm. I mean, I'm not a Succession fan, but many people are. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, it turns out I, I like a lot of his work already, and it's cool to get to see him write and direct something. It is based on a book, but... I'm hopeful that he gets to make some more stuff. And yeah. And this has been well received. Like it won, I believe the audience award at TIFF this year. I totally get why. And it has such a good 
voice and I feel like it was really well directed and the performances he pulled out of all of the actors are also excellent. Um, and I really, I'm really happy when Tracy Ellis Ross shows up and stuff because we both feel complicated about blackish. We stopped watching it after a while, but she was always a highlight of it. We really like Tracy Ellis Ross and for her part that she plays in this, it was lovely to see her here. And I also want to note that the, the score was top tier. Excellent. A lot of good music shit this week that I'm a big fan of. And I, I absolutely loved it. You know, I think that yes, this has some really great exploration of complicated family stuff. It has some great satire it, when it, everything comes back to dads and complicated dad stuff. That's, that's our bread and butter. This is not my favorite thing I've ever seen, but an enjoyable comedy with like a little bit of heart and a thoughtful commentary on our times is, is, is a winner for me. Yeah. I felt similarly to how I felt about Joyride, where I'm like, what Joyride is as a film, isn't the type of film I usually like go for. Yeah. But if I'm going to see that kind of film, I would so much rather it be like smart and thoughtful and not punching down mm. like, Joyride. And I feel the same way about this. Like, I think American fiction is a little bit more of like just an everybody movie than I usually go for. Yeah. Like, it's a pretty easy, pretty nice. It's affecting and it's without being cloying, but it's, but it is pretty easy. It's pretty pat. Yeah. Um, but if I'm going to see that kind of movie, I would rather see one that's thoughtful and smart and not punching down. Yeah. And, you know, we went to it with our friend Tabitha and the three of us had like a really good time. It's not one I see myself revisiting often, if ever, but I'm very glad that I saw it and I and I had fun with it. Yeah, I'm in the exact same spot as you. How did it make you feel? It made me feel grateful for thoughtful and funny contemporary movies. Uh, similarly, it made me feel just a sense of joy from its thoughtful execution. The next film we watched was one we were excited about, but I have to be honest, I would have rather been at All of Us Strangers, <laughs> which... <laughs> yep. We thought was going to come out and didn't in Canada. Um, we watched the 2023, that feels like it should be a 2024, comedy, drama, romance, good grief. It was written and directed by Dan Levy, but under Daniel Levy. And stars uh, Dan Levy as Mark, Ruth Nega as Sophie, Himesh Patel as Thomas, Luke Evans as Oliver, Celia Imri as Imelda, Arnaud Valois as Theo, and David Bradley as Duncan. Synopsis, when his husband unexpectedly dies, Mark's world shatters, sending him and his two best friends on a soul-searching trip to Paris that reveals some hard truths they each need to face. What did you think of Good Grief? Coming on strong with the grief once again this week. But yes, like you said, we were looking forward to this one. I mean, I love, love, love Dan Levy and will likely watch anything he does, save except for The Idol, which we won't talk about. But we saw the trailer for this and I immediately had the thought that this looks like it's going to wreck me. I'm excited for it. And if that's the case, what better film to replace all of us strangers, which I think is also going to wreck me. And I mean, I think that it's a beautiful movie, but I ended up feeling a little emotionally shallow by the end. And I yeah. think, I think that's evidenced by the fact that I didn't cry. And we should have. Yeah. Like this is gay 
grief, it should make you and me cry. Yeah. And I, I, I was disappointed about that, but some of the highlights for sure is that this has some top tier Dan Levy dialogue. He is really great with words, especially when it comes to monologues or one-on-one conversations that get a little bit deeper and using metaphors and things like that. And there's just some really great thoughtful pieces in here about grief and dealing with grief and how we choose to deal with grief and how to express emotions about how you're feeling. It, it kind of follows subtly the stages of opening up about grief and from not being ready to being more fully ready. One more thing I'll say is that I think that it also has says in, in addition to saying some thoughtful things about grief, it also says some thoughtful features and says some thoughtful things about those who support you during grief. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of it's bread and butter. But you, you made a point after we watched this that this would have made a really great miniseries or limited series. Yeah, I really felt like Dan Levy had such a grasp on who all of these characters were, mm-hmm. but that we didn't necessarily get to see that. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't expository, but it kind of was in the way that like it would just loudly declare through character actions who a character was without us getting to like slowly learn that over time. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like he really, really, really knew the ins and outs of the larger story he was telling, but had to tell it in a condensed space. And I would have totally watched a limited series on this. I don't think it needed to be a TV show, like a long running TV show like Schitt's Creek, which is amazing and one of our all time favorites. But I think would have benefited from more time. Um, Mm -hmm. And who knows the ins and outs of what he initially pitched and and what it it became. But we also have to remember this is his first movie. Yeah. And for a first movie, it's pretty good. Yeah. No, I think think it's great. And just to what you said too, and I think you said, I think I really like what you said here that he had such a lock on who all of these characters were and how they were in relation to each other. But yeah, I I don't felt like I was brought into the fold yes. as much. Yeah. And I wanted more backstory between him and his friends and him and his partner. And sure, you don't need that maybe for all audiences, but I, I like that stuff. I, I want a little bit more. And then that's what's going to invest me. That's what's going to bring on the tears, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of been a refrain I've been seeing from folks Um who've been watching it is like, I thought I was going to like ball like a baby and I didn't cry at all. And this is one that like, it almost had too good of a trailer. Yeah. Again, the, I think the trailer revealed too much, but also like the trailer's really good. Like the trailer makes me want to cry. Yes. But then the film didn't. And so, you know, that that's stinky, but I, I've seen some folks writing about how it's still important to have a diversity of queer films. And I think this is a good movie and, and it, you know, it adds to a conversation about queerness in film and in a, in a way like queer grief without being queer trauma. Yeah. Um, focuses on friendships, beautiful fashions. I do think Dan Levy shot the film beautifully. Like I think it's, yeah. it's got this softness to it. That's really lovely. And I liked the cast. I love Himesh Patel mm-hmm. second station 11 shout out this week <laughs> between Cord <laughs> Cord Jefferson who wrote, 
um, an episode of it who made American fiction and then Himesh Patel, who's uh, one of the key characters in station 11 and is just amazing in it. Um, yeah. But I was, I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed. Yeah. I, I feel similarly. Like I'm so grateful that this exists, but, and, and like the, the score is magnificent. The coats, my God, the coats, great fucking <laughs> coats in this movie and the sets and the cinematography. Like it's such a pleasing visually movie to watch and then it had like key scenes that were really lovely and the dialogue was really amazing yeah. but i just don't feel like it's stitched together in a way that makes me want to come back to it or even necessarily recommend it to people yeah disappointingly and sadly like i don't think i'll ever watch this again no um but i will watch ships creek again yeah also the poster that's done by on instagram the handle is derivative yeah, it's fabulous. It's like a, it's like a painting poster. Yeah, and then like all movies on Netflix, it gets done dirty by just having some weird Hallmark type <laughs> poster. God damn it. Um, I mean, all of that said, also Dan Levy, you know, you can you can be, feel free to be my boyfriend anytime. Uh, you I, really do love him, don't you? I love him so much. Yeah, I don't have much more to say. How to make you feel? It made me feel not quite as in love with it as I thought I would be, but grateful for this quiet queer film. Yeah, again, you and me are aligned here. I, it made me feel sadly disappointed, but glad that it exists. Okay, last film of the week, we went to Metro Cinema and we saw their monthly show that they do with homicidal drag, um, Bring It On, 2000 comedy romance sport film. Really hitting the romance hard in the first week of January. Boom. I love you. Boom. I want to hug you. Which, like, that's not my genre, so got to get some horror films in here. It was directed by Peyton Reed of Ant-Man fame um, and written by Jessica Bendinger. And it stars Kristen Dunst as Torrance Shipman, Elijah Dushku as Missy Pantone, Jesse Bradford as Cliff Pantone, and Gabrielle Union as Isis, and then a ton more people, but I'm not going to name them. Synopsis, a champion high school cheerleading squad discovers its previous captain stole all their best routines from an inner city school and must scramble to compete at this year's championships. What did you think of Bring It On? First of all, I was struggling to know what I remember Jesse Bradford from. Like during when we were watching this movie, I'm like, is he Xander from Buffy? And like hard no on that. But he's fucking swim fan, baby. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen Swim Fan. I mean, he's not the Swim Fan, but he is the Swim of which... Swim Fan Swim fans. Fan is, yeah. So I was ready to relive this as a romp. I've only seen it once in the past. I was quite nervous because the Audis do not have a good track record when it comes to their teen comedies. But I was intrigued to learn that this was one you revisited <laughs> a lot more than once. Yeah, I uh, I had a small like VHS collection that was just mine because when I was 12, my mom reluctantly let me get a 13-inch TV VCR combo in my bedroom. Um, and so I had some like VHS tapes that were like I had the first three seasons of Friends and a couple other things that were mine, not the family's. And three that I watched like on repeat were Pleasantville about a boy and this bring it on that I watched all the time that like I can I can picture my little 
shelf of VHS tapes. And, and I owned more than those three, but they were kind of the three I returned to a lot. But while we've revisited about a boy and I've revisited Pleasantville a lot because I used to teach it, I haven't revisited Bring It On. Like I probably haven't seen it since I was like 16, mm-hmm. um, which is half my life ago. So I was nervous as well, but I was like curious what I liked about it then. And um, we went with our friend Sanford and Alex Sanford, who had seen it a few times and liked it when he was younger. And then Alex, who had never seen it. Um, as soon as the opening song started, I was like, oh, my goodness, I could sing this whole thing. <laughs> had you asked me what's the opening song and bring it on, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. But as soon as it started, I was like, oh, I know all the words. And it, I wouldn't say that the whole movie came flooding back. But like there was a moment where I leaned over to you and I'm like, something happens with toothbrushes that I remember. <laughs> yeah, But I don't remember what. Um, so, yeah, I mean... There are parts of this movie that I'm like, it makes sense that I liked this. Um, A lot of this is really highly rated by a lot of people that we know. And a lot of people call it their like queer awakening movie, especially I think through Elijah Dushku's character. And a lot of people say that about her character in Buffy, like say it about Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, But I was never a really big Elijah Dushku person. I didn't dislike her, but she, she wasn't doing nothing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I think I just liked the storyline between like the clovers and the toros and i think i was compelled with where that nets out and i still think it's like pretty decent for 2000s when you think it's made by a white filmmaker for a white audience um and i mean i think i like the little guitar boy look i've ended up with the little guitar boy (laughs) yes this is true yeah i mean i can so appreciate that this is responsible or played a role in so many people's queer awakening and i can so appreciate the nostalgia that people would have wrapped up in this but as somebody who doesn't have any of those things wrapped up in this it was a romp for sure but it ain't good it has some pretty offensive shit in it that yeah it might have just been the mood i was in but i had a lot of I, I really struggled to get past a lot of it. And some of it just got stuck in my craw. And I'm like, I fucking hate that that happened. And that's all I can think about for the rest of this movie. Like just a lot of homophobic shit, body shaming stuff, and some very casual sexual assault that is brushed off with like a, uh, pff, an eye roll. And that, it was just real. it was a really tough pill to swallow for some of that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I think, so that's all, yeah, it's despicable and it's gross and, Whenever I'm watching, like, especially like a teen comedy from the 2000s, I'm just waiting for the first like homophobic slur to be used or the first ableist slur to be used. And all of them are here. And how it's going to be used. Yeah. yeah. And then you're just like, ah. And you can hear the like uncomfortable laughter. Like people in the audience are like, ah, we know we're not supposed to say that. Uh. And then there's some of us that are like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like that sucks. Um, But even like, I feel like I, there's a lot of folks who've talked about like, but this is such a good film about cultural appropriation. And I'm like, you know, I think for 12 year old me, it was, and it probably had some like good political ramifications in my life. But I wrote this in my letterbox review, literally like an hour before we left for the movie, I finished reading Z ways, uh, collection of essays called black friend. And I was trying to finish reading it because our friend Sanford, who we were going to the movie with had lent it to me. And I was like, I want to get it back to him. Um, and I think Z-Way would have some things to say about this movie. <laughs> like from Probably. 
from a it's a good exploration of cultural appropriation lens, I think she would challenge that a bit in a thoughtful and very funny way because she mm-hmm. is thoughtful and very funny. And so I'm like, I, you know, I, I do think for 12 year old me better to be watching that and seeing this film that acknowledges that it ain't cool to steal things from people who, whose culture you're not a part of and then get the credit for it. Like mm-hmm. the film ultimately is saying that and that is good, but it's not saying it in any thoughtful, nuanced way. And the Clover's, are still sidelined in the film and they're still secondary and we really don't learn anything about any of them. In fact, this morning you were like, Hey, did you know Gabrielle Union's character's name is Isis? And I'm like, yeah, but I don't even know if they said her name in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't think we can excuse the language and the assaulty moments by holding it up as a bastion of like, amazing racial politics because i don't think it is that i think it's better than a lot of stuff in the 2000s but that doesn't make it great like you said it is a movie made by white people for white people and yes it does have some of those qualities that you're describing but it 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 ain't it ain't doing anything massive it ain't ain't pushing anything too no i don't think it like radically changed people's lives and awoke them to the unfairness of the world yes but like i said that was my experience with it was not great but i am i can so appreciate that other people find the value and have the nostalgia wrapped up in this because i know there's films that i have that feeling for that are probably off kevin smith (laughs) yeah that have a, a lot of dog shit wrapped up in it um we all have that stuff and it's such a tough pill to swallow for any of us when we revisit something that we so loved and was so influential on us. And it's just like, oh, like one word choice can just destroy the whole vision you had for it. And I think because I liked this movie, but it didn't have any like key influence in my life. Revisiting it, I was like, oh, I remembered this and there's still parts of it that like I like and I remember liking, but I'm okay to not bring it back into rotation i will say so when i leaned over to you and i was like something happens with toothbrushes and then when we saw the scene i was like oh i remember i thought this was sexy but i'd watch this with my friends and they would be like ew and i'm like huh but i think it's kind of sexy um and then i said to you this morning i think i can draw a straight line from finding this toothbrush scene and bring it on sexy to finding most of the stuff in Saltburn sexy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And being like, why does everyone else think this is so gross? Now, yeah. not the grave stuff in Saltburn. I don't think that's sexy. But some of the other stuff, I'm like, I don't get why this is so gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, maybe that's my awakening, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Bring it on. I'm happy that Kristen Dunst is still around and is making good movies and that they're not bring it on anymore. Yep. Agreed. And I'm happy that I got my guitar boy. You can write me a song and I'll dance around really badly and, and cringily on my bed. I'll make you... Surrounded by my Wizard of Oz and Sanrio toys. Uh, oh. <laughs> and just like cut out words from magazines. And just... On the wall. Put them on the wall. Yeah. All right. Uh, how did Bring It On make you feel? Blown away by how irresponsible it and the 2000s were with their comedy. How did it make you feel? 
made me feel disappointed in the language and fashion to a lesser degree of the times, despite the nostalgia. Yeah. Let's talk about dads. That's why we're here. Dads of the week, baby. Who's your dad? Bad dad nominee. I picked Reynolds Woodcock. As, Phantom Threat. As did I. DDL himself. He may be done with chips, but he ain't done with us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this guy is just a petulant little boy who believes his genius excuses him from any responsibility towards other people. Mm-hmm. And he's dismissive of other people's humanity and feelings and emotions. And... Like I said, he's me at my most toxic, so <laughs> I get it. Um, but yeah, he's just he's just petulant little piss boy. Yeah, uh, extremely well put. I have to ask the question: um, How can you be dad when you're baby? <laughs> and, he's a bad dad, baby. Yeah, he's a bad baby dad. Like he doesn't want to dad. He wants to be in control, but not in a nurturing and caring capacity. He just wants to be piss baby when things don't go his way. And he wants everything to be perfect to his liking at the expense of other people. I don't want that as a dad. No. He can frick off. He is baby. Yeah. But not baby. But he is daddy. There's a lot of things happening. Yeah. He, but he is done with chips. Yeah. And that we know. Reynolds Woodcock. Don't, don't be, be our dad. dad. I feel like you you gave away who your rad dad is, but tell me. Yeah, uh, I picked Joe from Sound of Metal. I did too. Oh, excellent. Nice. Um, Yeah, I mean, Joe is just a beacon of kindness and patience. He's quietly observant. He doesn't overstep. He's really thoughtful. And he's understanding yet upholds his own values and beliefs that he's put in place for himself and for others. And he's considerate of the collective and considerate of the individual. And I think that's such, those are all such beautiful attributes to not only an amazing person, but an amazing dad. How about you? I mean, I think that you, you said what I was going to say. I just said he's patient and he's communicative with like, an aspect of vulnerability and honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, he's understanding of the individual, but he doesn't enable them. Yeah. I just, he's, yeah, all time great. Mm-hmm. So Joe, be your dad. dad. Oh, there were so many daddy <laughs> options. I mean, I have one. I could have had 20 million. I'm assuming you have one. Uh, yeah, I, I just made like a list. Oh, but we can't put them all. I have a number one pick. Okay, so we, we each should say our number one pick and then we'll give honorary mention to everybody else. Who's your number one pick? Uh, Riz Ahmed as Rubenstone. That was mine. Okay, because okay. I, wow. I mean, Riz Ahmed is a total babe all the time, but like Rubenstone really does it for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> Not yeah. when he's being the way he is, but. He's a total babe. He's a total babe. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, Reynolds Woodcock. Daddy Day Lewis, big time. Dan Levy. Dan Levy, absolutely. Himesh Patel. Yes. I mean, Vicky Creeps as well. Yes. Um, Olivia Cook as well. Yeah. yeah. Issa Ray. Sterling K. Brown. Jesus Christ. Everybody. But, and I mean, not for me, but for a lot of people, Elijah Dushku. Yeah. So it was a, it was a daddy week. We had a lot of beautiful people on the screen. 
but we're going to give it to Riz Ahmed, um, played, no, we're going to give it to Ruben Stone, played by Riz Ahmed. So Ruben, Ruby? <laughs> Wheat Woot. We have such a fucking lovely rad wreck for you all. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't, now's the time. Netflix just dropped a real special gift on all of our doorsteps in the form of the show Pokemon Concierge. We are not the biggest Pokemon people, but we definitely hopped on the bandwagon with Pokemon Go when it dropped in 2016, and it was such a highlight of our of our lives. We spent so much time and <laughs> admit, admittedly a lot of money on <laughs> fucking Poke Coins and that and that stupid app. And even growing up, like I remember skipping school when I got Pokemon Stadium and Pokemon Snap, like. It, there's just this childlike excitement around these fucking little cute monster things that we love so much. But we bonded so much with each other and with other people over Pokemon Go. I have since, we both have gone in and out. I've dropped off for a long time. You kind of have gone in and out a little bit more than I have. But getting back to this show, it's just so lovely. It's super, we binged it. There's four episodes and they're short. Like we, we crushed this thing out in like an hour, a little over an hour. Yeah. And it's all stop motion, which is also just beautiful and gorgeous. But it says some really nice accessible things just about anxiety mm -hmm. and how tough the world can be, but also just about prioritizing yourself and prioritizing animals and others and making sure that everybody's looked after including yourself while going on some silly little adventures as well it's so calming and and nice it, it made us laugh a lot there's a lot of like goofy cute shit in this as well it's lovely it's really good it makes me happy to think that this is something young people could be watching i'd be really really happy to have like our two four and eight year old even our 12 year old nibblings watching this and like learning that like it's okay to not be exactly like other people it's okay to be anxious it's okay to have support and also treat animals kindly <laughs> yes absolutely so pokemon concierge it was lovely highly recommend absolutely thank you so much for listening we drop a new episode every thursday until then, you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. You can get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual letterboxed accounts. Our usernames are in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you could share us with the rad people in your life and drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever the heck you're listening from. That is going to do it from these threadheads this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot. My dad's a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.